Attention golfers, if you're looking to upgrade your game with a set of high-quality clubs that are blazing fast, beyond forgiving, and beautifully made, check out the all-new PXG Gen 6 Golf Clubs. Not only are they easy to hit, they deliver outstanding distance and incredible accuracy, lowering your scores and bringing you more fun on the golf course. What more could you want? Schedule your Gen 6 fitting today at pxg.com or by calling 844-PLAY-PXG. And we're back, Stripe Show Podcast on a Monday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Today's Stripe Show Podcast brought to you about, about golf simulators. Glowing in the backdrop. Have a full week in here. Full lesson book. Been busy as we uh, get closer to Memorial Day. Been busy teaching private lessons in here. If you're in the greater Jacksonville area and you want to swing in, let me know. Or those that don't live here, online lessons available, travisfultongolf.com. Go check that out. Also, if you are in this area, and I know I have a lot of people that listen in this area, our junior camps start uh, the week of June 5th. We're going to do two camps in June and two in July. So excited about that as we uh, continue to take the next steps here in the studio. Nice um, announcement coming up this week as well with my partnership with PXG. Thank you to PXG. Some cool stuff coming in the studio as well. So thank you for tuning in. All things PGA Championship. Today, we're going to talk about Brooks Kepka. We're going to talk about Michael Block. We're going to talk about PGA Tour versus Live Golf. We're going to talk about official world golf rankings. We're going to talk about the Ryder Cup. It just depends what lens you want to look at professional golf through right now because there's a lot of different angles. There's a lot of different lenses that you could be looking at what's happening right now in professional golf. And it just becomes even more elevated, if you will, with Brooks Kepka winning because Brooks Kepka, of course, longtime PGA Tour member, had four major championships as part of the PGA Tour, and then he switches over to Live Golf. And since being on Live Golf, he's won two of those events over there, and now another major championship. His fifth major championship of his career. 33 years of age, five major championships. He's one of the all-time greats. He's going into the Hall of Fame. That's a big number. Five. Five major championships. That is a big number, and I don't think he's done. I don't think he's done. Remember, he was second at the Masters, had the lead going into Sunday and lost the lead there. Who's to say he's not going to go over to the LA Country Club and win the US Open and then go clip off an Open Championship? I mean, he's just, um, his, he's, he's, he's a Hall of Famer, right, is what he is. He's got no weaknesses in his game. He's comfortable being uncomfortable down the stretch. Who else are you going to pick to put away a tournament right now other than Brooks Kepka? His team is back intact. Claude Harmon, his longtime coach, through those injuries, trying to put the pieces back together, um, Brooks split with Claude Harmon. I think Pete Cowan ended up staying with him. That's his short game coach. I know he split at one point with Jeff Pierce, who was his longtime putting coach. Brooks going through some things. We saw it on Netflix, the full swing series. 
through his injuries, lost his game, lost his confidence. It was a dark, dark time. But as he's put the pieces back together, he was able, fortunate enough, to put his team back together. Claude Harmon III back to being his full swing coach. Of course, Pete Cowan's there as a short game and Jeff Pierce, uh, his putting. That team works for uh, Brooks Kepka. Full analysis coming on Brooks Kepka's swing on my platform uh, at Travis Fulton Golf on Instagram. I actually talked about some of the things that he went back to um, when he got back with Claude Harmon to hit that little fade off of the tee in a, in a very reliable fade. You know, most of these guys that you're watching down the stretch are, are hitting that fade. Victor Hovland hitting that little peel fade. Scheffler pretty straight, kind of can let it die either way. Um, but we know most of these guys off of the tee, maybe with the exception of Rory, um, that ball's dying to the right. And, and it's got a fair amount of curve when you really look at it. I mean, there were some with Hobbins. I mean, he's like starting it up the left side and that thing's slicing back to the right. Kepka hit a big few slices. But that little fade off of the tee is the predominant shot. And then in the fairway, you're seeing them, you know, able to hit that little squeeze fade, not as much curve because they're hitting down on it a little bit more, but they can then hit a little bit of a draw as well um, with that iron. Both of the guys, I thought, uh, really hit some cool shots, some 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 short iron shots where you could see them kind of trap it, take the swing direction a little more out to the right and a little, little draw um, with the irons, but then hit that stock shot, little squeeze fade off to the right, but predominantly off the tee, um, it, it was the power fade. In some instances, it was a it was a borderline slice. But Kepka had to get back to that reliable fade. And a couple things that that has happened with Brooks, as simple as this might sound, the keys to Brooks' fade is one: don't aim to the right, and don't get the ball position too far back. When you aim to the right and you get the ball position too far back in the stance, that can cause too much of a push draw. So for Brooks, keep the ball forward, keep his alignment a little bit to the left. And then from there, Brooks' swing is one that kind of goes up and down relatively the same plane. So if Brooks took the club a little inside, let's call it, it's going to come back down a little from the inside. When you aim right ball back, you get the club a little inside. You're going to bring it down from a little inside and his path just gets too much up to the right. That's not what he wants to see. He wants to see the ball start left and fade to the right. So you clean up the alignment, you clean up the ball position and you get the club a little bit more out in front of you with your hand path, maybe just a little wider and a little more out club head out. And then it's going to come back down that same line and where now the path can work back around to the left. So it's almost like the backswing, and the downswing, um, are are the same thing, right? And from that from that perspective, sometimes you'll see players um, who who may take it back a little more vertical, and then they shallow it and they bring it down. So there's a little more of that loop. Like the backswing and the downswing are not exactly the same thing. But in Brooks's case, I I, I think it is the same thing, and I think um, where it is going back is going to be roughly where it is coming down. So you clean up ball position, you get the alignment right, you get that first move right. Or dare I say, he's working on the backswing. Get that first move right, and then from there, he can just go ahead and turn and hit it, and then the path is to the left, and there's his little fade. And so he's kind of got that back, right? I mean, he, he's got that back. You can see the confidence off the tee. Claude Harmon knows his game extremely well. You can see the, the shot shaping around the green. 
He's got all kinds of different shots. Um, a very underrated short game player, really, I think, at the end of the day. And then his, his putter has always been kind of a little unique. You know, Brooks will address it maybe a little towards the toe. And then his path coming back to the face. I don't think it's a really a, a, a very straightforward kind of setup and path. I, I think there's some things that Jeff Pierce has been able to work through with Brooks to really get his, his stroke to make sense and to be dialed in so he can get that ball to start online. And clearly, um, you know, you watch Brooks roll the ball. I mean, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, it really is. I mean, you don't, you don't say Brooks Kepka and he's one of the first thing that comes to your mind is he's, he's one of the best around the greens and on the green. Like that's just not what comes to mind, but the reality is he is, <laughs> right? I mean, he, he has no weaknesses. The first thing that comes to mind is, you know, it's, he, he's this, this big, powerful guy that can hit bombs off of the tee and he's a solid iron player. And then after about 30, 45 seconds of discussion, you, you eventually, oh yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he can, you know, he's pretty good around the green and on the green. No, Brooks Kepka has no weaknesses. He has no weaknesses. He can do it all. And in addition to that, he is probably the most comfortable when it comes to getting uncomfortable and down the stretch. We talk about and we joke around about having a little dog in you. Brooks Kepka has the most dog in him. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Brooks Kepka has a lot of dog in him. And he is so comfortable when it's at the highest intensity, the biggest tournaments. His greatest advantage is situational golf. He'll put you away down the stretch. Now, it was it was very interesting to see him at Augusta on Sunday. It didn't even really look like Brooks. I talked about it on the show after Augusta that it, it was just it was bizarre. I've never seen really Brooks that way on a Sunday going into a major championship to put the tournament away. He said he learned from that and you could see him come out and he was focused on the task at hand. If I had to guess what it was, that was different. I think he probably just had to slow himself down. Brooks is a fast player. He's going to hit. He's going to get up. What's the distance? Give me the club and hit. And, and I think most all of us appreciate that. But I think he he was affected by some of the slow play um, at Augusta, in particularly on Sunday. So I think there was more of a conscious effort to slow the slow it down. His walk, the way he was approaching each shot. And then timing it out better as he was getting to his ball, not waiting as long, a little more of the rhythm of, of, of your group within the, within the tournament. And if I had to guess, and to me, that's probably um, what it was. I found myself, I found myself late on Sunday watching Kepka come down the stretch that I was cheering for him a little bit more than I have in years past. Um, if you, if you listen to the podcast, like I've never been a huge Brooks Kepka fan. I just haven't. Even when he was on the PGA tour, I, I found him to be insufferable. Um, I found him to be arrogant. Um, and I found his press conferences to be condescending. I felt like he was talking down to people. Um, you know, he's just this too cool for school attitude. And just frankly, I thought he was a dick. Um, but now I, I look at Brooks, I listen to him, I watch him. And even though he's on the live tour, which isn't my cup of tea, I found myself cheering for him. 
Um, I think maturity has settled in for Brooks, as it does for all of us. I feel like I'm more matured now than I was eight years ago. And then at that time, eight years before that, I mean, life just hits you. And most of us, I guess, um, we, we mature. And so I, I, I look at Brooks and I think I'm sure he's been humbled through his injuries over the last couple of years. He's been married for a little while now. That'll humble you. Um, and now he's got a kid coming. And I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be a father for the first time. I look at Brooks now. He, he's more gracious. He looks more accommodating. Um, I don't know. He just, he's just different. He looks, he, there, there's just more maturity there. He's still confident, right? Borderline arrogant. I'm sure there's still going to be those Brooks moment. Um, but he's just more tolerable now for me. And, and, and that's just me. And, and I found myself um, cheering for him a little bit more down the stretch. Because at the end of the day, as a golf fan... And watching this, I mean, we're watching greatness here. I mean, this is one of the all-time greats. Five major championships. This guy's going straight to the Hall of Fame. And as I said, he's 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 not done. You know, he's just he's just not done. And the other thing I thought about, the other thing I thought about with with Kepka as he was coming down the stretch was like we're we're quick to to say that this person gets the most out of their game, right? Like we're quick to say like someone. Um, gets the most out of their game when they struggle with something. Like they're not very long off the tee. They give up distance off the tee like a Zach Johnson or a Kevin Kisner, and then they win. Like, man, that guy gets the most out of his game. Um, Spieth, when he was spraying all over off the tee. Brad Faxon was a bad driver of the ball. He ended up winning eight times on the PGA. He had a great short. He got the most out of his game. You know, I look at Brooks Kepka and it's like, this dude gets the most out of his game. He may not have the most PGA Tour wins because I, I just frankly, I mean, I, I believe that he just doesn't care about them as much. I don't think he probably cares about the live events as much. What he cares about is winning major championship, his legacy and 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 winning major championships. Um, but Brooks Kepka gets the most out of his game. I said he's got no weakness. And when you have no weakness, you're going to put yourself with a lot of chances to win. And when Brooks Kepka puts himself in position with a lot of chances to win, I mean, is there anybody that you would rather have close the door than Brooks Kepka? And so to me, he gets the most out of his game, right? Five major championships. That's a big number. You know who doesn't get the most out of their game that has no weaknesses is Xander Shoffley. Now, granted, he's, um, he's a winner on the PGA Tour. He's a great player. But is Xander Shoffley anytime soon going to close the door in a major championship? It feels a little stretched right now, right? It feels like there's more pieces that have to be put together. You know who does get the most out of the game that has no weaknesses? Patrick Cantlay. Um, you know, where's he at in winning major championships? You know who else doesn't get the most out of their game that has no weaknesses right now in major championships is Max Homa. You know, the guy can't even compete in major championships. Now, he's a different player as of late in the last year or two, but we see him, you know, one of the best players in the regular uh, regular season. And when he gets in the hunt, he can put it away, but then he gets to those major championships and he's just not in contention at all. So Brooks Kepka, to me, when you look at players who have no weaknesses, he gets the most out of his game. He puts himself in contentions. He's finished second now four times in major championships with five wins. The guy's got a dog. I mean, he's just, he, he, he's got a dog in him. And when you have a dog in him and you have no weaknesses, you're getting the most out of your game. 
Brooks Kapka wins PGA Championship, whether you're looking at it through uh, just a player's performance or you're looking at it through the lens of PGA Tour versus LIV. Look, folks, don't 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 complicate this. Don't complicate this any more than I don't care where Brooks Kepka plays professional golf. If he plays on the PGA Tour, if he plays on, I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters to him and his legacy is major championships. And he gets the most out of his game when he plays that. It doesn't matter if he was playing the Asian Tour. The guy knows how to win major championships. Don't overcomplicate it. It's not about a PGA Tour versus Liv. It's about Brooks Kepka. He's one of the all-time greats, and he's going to the Hall of Fame. The second big storyline was Michael Block. And this one really you know, touched home for me because Michael Block, of course, is a full-time teacher. A full-time teacher out in California, charges $150 an hour. And I got a big chuckle out of when he said, I only hit one bucket of balls per week. <laughs> I only hit one bucket of balls per week. And most people probably listen to that and they're like, nah, he hits more than that. He's working on his game. And look at the way he played here at Oak Hill. He, he's got to be, he's got to be grinding. Well, I don't know. I can relate to this. I'm a full-time teacher, have been for 22 years. People look at us like, yeah, you're probably in here practicing your studio all day, aren't you? No. Uh, in fact, I probably don't even really practice. You know, I don't really play serious golf. Um, and Michael Block, one bucket of balls per week, probably hits a few putts, get away nine with his kid, 18 holes here and there with a member. Yeah, Michael Block, budget, resources, not the same as Rory McIlroy, who he played with on Sunday, or Justin Rose, who he played with. And so to see what Michael Block did, what Michael Block did in that championship is extraordinary. I mean, it really is. Michael Block is, is a much better player than me. I mean, we're looking at someone like a plus four, plus five, plus six. I'm not, I'm not near that. Um, and for him to go out there and play the quality of golf that he did is just, it, it's, it's one of the more remarkable stories <laughs> that I can remember, really. I mean, it's just... It, it, it's captivating. And I, and I've never been like, I'm not one who can sit here and rattle off and know who are the 20 PGA pros that played in that event. Like I don't follow that, that closely. I don't put a lot of stock in that. I think it's cool and I'm fine with it. But 99% of the time, these guys are not competing, right? They're missing the cut. Occasionally one will get through and this and that, but to, to, to run up the leaderboard and be a part of the championship, like Michael block was, that was, it gives me goosebumps, like my hair's ticking. Like I, I'm, it, it, it makes me proud. Uh, a fellow teacher going out there and playing that quality of golf. And it wasn't just like the, the highlight shots. It just wasn't the ace. It just wasn't the up and down on 18. To do it every single day, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, top 15 at Oak Hill, major championship, best players in the world. This is what these guys do, the elite level. To go out there and shoot that number and handle the, yourself the way that you did, tip of the cap. Tip of the cap to you, sir, Michael Block. And I'm going to be reaching out, hopefully, to get you on the podcast uh, after things settle down a little bit, if they do, because he's going to Charles Schwab this week. Um, he, he's, he's going to Charles Schwab this week. And I saw that RBC... Um, is going to, uh, or they did extend an invitation to him as well. So he's probably going to have a little run of tournaments here. And let's see what Mr. Block can do 
um, during this stretch. But what a what a cool story, Michael Block. Um, what a terrific player in Brooks Kepka and uh, tip of the cap to the PGA Championship. Wow, that was that was a wonderful wonderful tournament. And of course now with Brooks winning and him on LIV, now the story quickly turns to whether or not Brooks should be on the Ryder Cup. Um, this official world golf ranking situation and whether Liv should be getting those. And there's just there, there's just there's just so many questions, right, that that stem from that. And if you're watching the golf channel and live from and you know you saw uh Brandel Chambly and Brad Faxon have a disagreement on and, and whether or not Brooks should play uh, in the Ryder Cup because currently now he's second and he's he's probably going to qualify through points to be on the Ryder Cup. And it takes us now to a different lens, right, in professional golf. What lens do you want to look at professional golf through? Do you want to look at it through just individual performance and play like Brooks Kepka? Do you want to look at it through PGA Tour versus Live Golf? Do you want to look at it through the greater good of the game? Do you want to look at it through what is best for the fans? There's so many different angles to look at. This is something that I think about a lot. I've been forthcoming and talking about, look, live golf isn't for me. Um, the, the style of live golf, the um, casualness of, of live golf and watching the way that it's presented, it's just not for me. And I don't think it's for a lot of people. And, and I saw that they're not going to be sharing um, their, their TV numbers any bit more anymore. And the reason I'm going to share is because no one's watching in the United States. Now, they had a great run out there in Australia, which I thought was really cool to see the people out there. And look, I think what they're going after um, with, with this perhaps leading with um, the entertainment side of things, the casualness side of things, maybe the younger generation generation, and, and more worldwide than the PGA Tour was traveling. Like, If they can go out and make an impact in the game of golf and do those things, and it's a viable business model and this, I mean, look, is that bad for the game of golf in the end? It probably isn't. Now, you can have an opinion one way or the other and where the money's coming from and this and that, and, 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 and that's the grounds that a lot of people stand on, including Brandel. But I think at the end of the day, when you look at Live and you look at that it is here, it is a part of the professional golf ecosystem I do think, as I've said many times, like the official world golf rankings are going to have to adapt. They have to adapt to what's happening in the world around them. It's no longer just the PGA Tour. It's no longer just a monopoly. Yes, the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour have, have um, come together with their strategic alliance, whatever that means, and, and we'll see as that rolls out. But Live Golf is here. They have spent a tremendous amount of money on great players to come over and be a part of that league. They needed to do that um, to be taken seriously. They needed to spend that kind of money. Enough with they're over at Live Golf. They come in and they're they're more fresh, and 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 therefore Live Golf is better. Like that's at this point, I'm I'm just I'm saying stop, pump the brakes a little bit. Brooks comes in. He's played eight times this year. He's been in Asia. Remember, he missed the cut in Asia. Um, he he played um, he played down in Australia. He played Singapore. They've played three or four weeks, which included Australia, Singapore, and Tulsa coming into the PGA Championship. 
So eight tournaments all, all across the, the world. And Victor Hovland's come in and has played nine in the United States. And so I'm not quite ready to, to, to go there yet that these guys are playing less money and that's like, or are playing less tournaments. And that's like the sole, re- one of the main reasons why they went over there. Enough. That's nonsense. They went over there because they got paid a lot of money and they got paid a lot of money because they're great players. They're great players. Brooks Kepka is a great player. Dustin Johnson's a great player. It's good to see Bryson DeChambeau get back to the basics of being a great player rather than a world-long drive champion. Cam Smith is a great player. He won the Open Championship while he was part of the PGA Tour. And so you pay $125 million to $200 million, whatever the number is, to get great players. No one should be surprised by that. Brooks Kepka could be a great player um, if he was playing on the Corn Ferry Tour. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like He'd be a great player if he was doing that. So I don't, I don't get caught up in that. You know, I, I just don't. And I'm not ready on the schedule standpoint quite yet either. But I am ready to say that the official world golf rankings need to adapt. They need to adapt to what's happening around them right now. They need to take live seriously. Give them some points. Should it be as many points as a full field PGA Tour event? Probably not. But the PGA Tour, last time I checked, going into next season is going into um, elevated events, limited field, no cuts. So what does that mean? Right? You have to adapt. The PGA Tour is changing. It's not the same. Live golf is not quite the same. And so someone's got to figure out how to push something for, forth that makes the official world golf rankings make a little bit more sense. It's up to you to adapt to that. I'm sorry. I just, that's, that's the way I feel. The other thing that is going to come down this, that's whether or not they're going to adapt or not is the Ryder cup. And to me, I look at the Ryder cup no differently than I do the major championships. I've, I've said many times, I've hoped the major championships stay above the fray. And I think for the most part, with the exception of the USGA, no surprise in what they did to Taylor Gooch and changing that last minute. Um, have I, I think the, the Masters, um, you know, it 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 pretty much done what it needed to do to get the top players there. The PGA, the same thing. I mean, can you imagine if Brooks Kepka wasn't there because he went to live? All right. I mean, that's like, is that what we want? You know, in major championships, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I don't. I don't agree with where the money's coming from. Uh, does that make me uncomfortable? It does, but it's here. I don't agree with a lot of things. But it's just it kind of is what it is to this point, right? I mean, it's not. It's not going where live is here. Probably going to stay. So if you're going to pay that kind of money and have those kind of great players over there, then I think they got to be treated within the fabric of professional golf. And I think official world golf rankings have to adapt to that. And I think the Ryder Cup, along with what the major championships have done for the most part, the Open Championship, you're going to see those guys there as well. I think they, they, they're going to have to adapt too. Because if, if we want the Ryder Cup to mean something and we want the um, major championships to mean something and be on that pedestal up there, you've got to have your top players playing. I mean, it's just, it's just the bottom line. 
Live Golf knew that going in. They paid the money to bring them over, right? The, the major championships are about craning the, or crowning the best players in the world. And the only way you're going to do that is if you're going to have the best players in the world there. The Ryder Cup has been what it is, the PGA Tour versus the European Tour. It's no longer that anymore. It's never going to get to that point. But it's Europe and it's, it's the United States, right? And so you, you got to have your best players from both playing. Because if you don't, then it's just going to, it's going to lose. It's going to, it's just going to, it's going to lose its status. And so to me, that's where we are. And I think, and I, and I hope that, that the open championships stay above the fray. I hope that the Ryder Cup continues to, to stay above the fray. And then the PGA Tour can manage what they need to manage in their fight against live golf. I mean, it's just, they're no longer a monopoly. There's a competitor in the world, agree or not with what it, where the money's coming from and what it looks like and what it feels like, whether you like it or not, are going to watch this. It's not necessarily for me, but if I'm looking at it objectively and I'm looking at it um, as a golf, as a whole, you know, those are my thoughts. So anyway, a few thoughts, PGA championship, the different lenses of professional golf. We got a great week coming ahead. Keith Stewart joins me tomorrow. All things Charles Schwab. Played Colonial a couple times, and uh, I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be a good event. And then joining me on Wednesday, a gentleman by the name of Ludvig Adberg, the Swedish player, the number one amateur in the world. He's going to join me on the podcast on Wednesday. I'm working on a special instruction Thursday. So much good stuff. Thank you for being here. Stripe Show podcast on a Monday. See you tomorrow.